Welcome to the Anti-Racist Educator podcast. My name is Melina and I am your host for today's episode on teacher activism and agency. I'm delighted to be joined by the president of my teacher trade union, Michelle Codrington Rogers from Oxfordshire in England. Michelle is a Black British queer teacher of citizenship and PSHE at a large secondary school in Oxford. Her family originate from St. Vincent and the Grenadines and have firm roots in Oxford. Michelle is a proud trade unionist who was elected as the first full-time NUS Black Students Officer before training as a teacher of citizenship. As a teacher, she then became a member of the NASUWT, the Teachers' Union, which is the only UK-wide union exclusively for teachers. In the NASUWT, Michelle started off as a school rep, then a local secretary and Oxfordshire Federation secretary. In 2011, she was elected to the Trade Union Congress, TUC, Race Relations Committee, and she chaired the annual TUC Black Workers Conference in 2018. Also in 2018, she was elected as a national officer for the NASUWT, and in April 2020, she became the first Black president in the union's 101-year history and the first known Black president in all British trade union history. Following the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement last year, Michelle led the Decolonize the Curriculum for Educators conference and campaign, which is still available to watch on YouTube and on the Anti-Racist Educator website. And she has a chapter published in Roads Must Fall, The Struggle to Decolonize the Racist Heart of Empire. Michelle is a strong advocate for anti-racism and intersectionality. And she wrote for Black Ballad, about her experiences of navigating intersectionality as a queer black woman and divorced mother of one. I suppose the first time I properly met Michelle was in London in 2017, where we were both representing the NACWT at the TUC Black Workers Conference. I remember her delivering such passionate speeches, proposing motions on rainbow, rainbow racism. And I also remember being incredibly excited when I found out that she too was vegan. We have since, um, seen each other at more TUC conferences and at the annual NASUWT Black Teachers Consultation Conferences. And Michelle continues to be a true inspiration and role model for me, as I've seen her push boundaries and break glass and concrete ceilings while lifting others as she rises. So thank you so much, Michelle, for joining me today. It is such an honor for me to have you as a guest. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you, Melina. Such a, um, a lovely introduction. And um, it makes me feel tired just listening. So I think I need a rest. Um, but no, it is an honour for me to, to, to be here on your podcast. Um, I've watched you kind of come up through the ranks as well and uh, always championed and, and celebrated um, your achievements. So no, thank you. And thank you for creating this very vital, important space. So no, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so I suppose we can maybe start off with uh, just thinking about your your journey from become, from becoming citizenship teacher to trade union activism and anti-racism. So um, perhaps you could tell us a bit more about where your passion for activism and anti-racism started. Oh, well, where do I start? I think I usually start with um, being that bullshy, naughty child at, kid, at school who was always getting into trouble, um, often getting into trouble for standing up for other people, um, standing up for my own expectations, I guess, as well. Um, very vivid memories of, of um, pushing back 
um, and if I didn't like something, I mean, I was the kid who would get up and walk out of class. You know, if I was not engaged, I wasn't going to waste my time in lessons. I did it at primary school. I get up, they'd find me sat in the library reading books. You know, I would find I wouldn't be off playing or anything like that. I would be reading. Um, my mum, uh, I guess my mum always raised us to be confident. Um, to make sure that we knew who we were. We're very closely linked to the Caribbean community in, in not just Oxford, in Luton, in, Cow in, um, in Luton, in High Wycombe, in Coventry. We were always going all over the place. We had links with, with people, you know, from across our, from our diaspora. Um, my mum sent me to Saturday, me and my sister to Saturday schools. So, you know, we grew up really having that sense of being part of something bigger than who we were and who we are so I guess being a West Indian we learned very early on that socialism you know that idea of sharing you know you just share what you have um don't tell me what the political aspect it was it was just about sharing you look out for your community if one person needs then others step in so I guess my sense of of activism and knowing who I was was very early seeded in me. Um, I remember at school being about 11 years old, um, um, getting into trouble and chasing a, another fellow student around an empty classroom and when asked by my form teacher of the time, you know, what happened, why did you do it? And I said, well, he called me a black pig. And my teacher said, well, does that not, if he'd, if he'd not called you black first, would you have not, you know, that you wouldn't have got into trouble? Um, what would you have done? And I basically said, well, I wouldn't have hit him as hard. Um, you know, it was the aspect of that, as, you know, that terminology being used against me was what kind of pushed me, pushed, pushed my, um, my red line, I guess. So I think I've always, it's always been there. It's always been a sense of knowing who I am. When I um, became a student, I had the opportunity um, uh, when I became a university student, I had the opportunity to go to America to do a, um, uh, a semester abroad. Um, and they were going to send me to Wisconsin. Um, I point blank went back and said, you are not sending me to Wisconsin. Uh, you haven't heard about what they do to black people there. Um, and so they managed to change it. And I ended up going to Southern Oregon. And the, I think it was within a day of me arriving, I ended up um, being invited to a uh, uh, I guess what we'd now call an unconscious bias race awareness course and it, I was hooked it was from that moment I got involved in the International Students Association I was involved in the in the women's group I was involved in the black students organization and I think it was that moment which is where I really uh, I guess I, gave, I bloomed and came to my own um, and yeah I, I brought that back with me to the UK and set up the Black Students Association at King Alfred's which was King Alfred's uh, Winchester which is now University of Winchester and got involved in the Black Students campaign and activism then became something that fired me quite a long a long um, explanation but when you start thinking back of all the different puzzle pieces that come together to help get you on that path um I can't help smiling of all the people who 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 inputted into who I am today and I can't even thank them all um but they know who they are they know who they are <laughs> thank you so much that's such such an interesting journey I love hearing how people get involved in trade union activism and I think that that sense of really knowing who you are feeling uh, a strong sense of identity and then being able to, to push for change and 
be really um, yeah, confident in what you want and what should really be happening in society. That's that's really important. And I guess for me personally, it was more um, my trade union spaces where I could see more people like that who really knew who they were and who, yeah, who were really passionate about anti-racism that helped me realize actually if that's something I also want to do. And um, yeah, so <laughs> you were one of those people who helped me. So thank you. Um, I suppose um, maybe we could think a bit more about trade union spaces um, for teachers in particular, and maybe some of the potential barriers that might make it difficult for teachers to actively get involved in their trade unions. So I might be thinking of teachers in general who might uh, be, well, or black, black workers as well, might look at their trade unions and their representatives and think that actually doesn't reflect me. It doesn't seem like my interests are there. Um, or also that sense of, well, if I do get too involved in my trade union, then um, I might not be able to get my promotion at school. So I better keep my head down and not cause any trouble. Um, what would you say to, to those sort of black workers and, and teachers? I think, as I said, it's as in our communities, we know and understand the idea of collectivism. We strongly know it. We strongly understand it. When we have someone shout something racist to us in the street or in our workplace or in our in our schools, we go straight back to the community to say this is what happens to me. And that's where the validation comes from. Our relationship with the trade union movement is so varied. Um, you know, in, in the island where my family are from, it was the trade union movement that pushed for independence from the British Empire, um, from, you know, that idea of, of being ruled from overseas. So I have quite that positive understanding of the trade union movement. And so my parents were members of the trade union movement. Um, well, they were trade union members, not necessarily part of the movement. I don't ever remember them going to meetings, but I remember them being members of the trade unions. So for me, straight away, I didn't see it as a space I didn't belong um, and and I think that is the the core problem of the trade union movement and I will be honest I'll, I, I hope I'm honest in telling people where the barriers are the barriers are in the way that trade unions engage with black workers um, as, as you very rightly said when you are only having contact with white reps and white representatives of the union and they're not telling you where those spaces are where you can go and you can feel that um, renewal like we have with our black teachers conference or what we have with the TUC black workers conference that moment you walk into the room and you see people who look like you it's not even necessarily about um, where in the world you come from that comes as part of the getting to know each other it's that walking into that room and knowing that you have I've got a shared experience in there in that room it's 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 intangible you can't explain it you can't describe it but this is what creates that space for black workers and a number of our trade unionists our trade unions don't understand it they will create spaces but they don't understand why that space is so vital to to us as members of our communities and so the trade union movement needs to understand why that is so crucial. Um, it's not about anti-racism. Anti-racism is a part of the work of the trade union movement and it always has been. And unfortunately, I'm going to say it disappoints me when trade unions pat themselves on the back to say, yes, we're members of this and we campaign for Cuba and we campaign for uh, against apartheid and we campaign. 
okay, well, you know, appreciate, but actually as a black person, what are you doing for me? What are you doing for me to be able to, to go into work and not have to deal with those microaggressions, that unhidden systematic racism that I face every day? Because that's the hard work. That's the stuff that I need the support on. I am happy to go on marches. I'm an anti-racist. That's through the nature of who I am. I, I can't be a black person and not support anti-racism and anti-fascism. That is my own self-interest. But what are you doing for me as a black person in this space? Because I pay my membership dues. And the frustration is that that is hard, but you can't do that work without the, without the input of the people who are most affected by the black members. And so trade, union, trade unions are finding that hard work too hard, so then they step back from it. So they either create the space and then kind of say, well, we've got black workers coming together. Now you, you've all had your space, now go away and we'll see you again next year. We've created the space. We've done a couple of talks. We've had our general secretary stand up and say, yes, we really see our black members and we want to see them get involved, become reps, but then that's it. And it has to be an absolute commitment from the trade union. It has to be a commitment to understanding and seeing what the barriers are, understanding that it's not just about employment law, it's about that emotional impact of racism on us as individuals. But it's also about saying we understand, we empathize, and we're not going to have to ask you to keep explaining it because we're going to now take that action on your behalf with you and alongside you and in front of you where we need to be. And unfortunately, the British trade union movement has not understood that. And so the frustration I have is trying to get the trade union movement to see us because they don't see us. They see a cause. They see black people as victims who need to be held up, at, you know, to, to, to kind of um, authorize their and legitimize their anti-racist badge, but they don't see us. They don't know us. And until we get into positions where we can be in that space and we can say, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's lovely you doing a march, but actually what are you doing to challenge this? because I've got that racist person in my workplace who is who could also be my manager, who's stopping my pay progression, who's stopping me teaching the good classes. Why am I always teaching bottom set maths on last lesson on a Friday and then having that as part of my performance management? That isn't just because they see me as being a good teacher. There's something happening there because the last black teacher got exactly the same pattern that I had. We need trade unions to say, we're going to put the strength of our, of our movement behind you. Um, one of the best things about the TUC Black Workers Conference is we get to talk to other trade unions and we realize that it's not just us. Um, and actually our experiences cross different sectors. And for me, finding out about Jayabin Desai, I learned about her at the TUC Black Workers and I learned that there's a woman here, an example, of a sister who's begging her trade union movement to stand side by side with her and they're not and even today you know we're still having to have that fight and so I think from my perspective 
is the trade union movement has to actually start seeing us and has to hear us, um, has to stop the tilting of the head to one side when we explain and share our experiences. And instead of saying, isn't that really bad? They to actually turn around and go, now we're going to put the might of the trade unions behind you. It's legal action. It is um, active action. It is doing all the things that we can do as trade unions to show to and support our black members. And I hope, um, that NASUWT will be at the forefront of that because the reason I stood was because I want to see our trade union actually acting and supporting our members. We have fantastic conferences where we come together and we get that renewal, but now we need the union to actually act and to, act and to move us forward so that Black teachers actually are able to focus on what it is we need to be doing. We need to be the, um, well, let's be honest, we're, we're the beacons in our communities. All of our parents love saying, you know, I've got a child who's a teacher. We're up there with doctors and lawyers, even if the rest of the public don't necessarily understand it. In the black community, being a teacher is something of respect. Um, but we're there to help our, the next generation of children and young people. We, my, my grandmother came to this country and first born, generation born in Britain. I want our children and to be able to see the opportunities that they should have, um, because that is the way that our communities move forward together. It's about making sure our children and young people are able to reach the best of their potential. And they can't do that if they don't have us as black teachers stood in front of them and sharing their experiences as well. So I apologize, that was a really, really long answer. Um, you've got me started about trade unions and, and the black space. So. <laughs> Please don't apologize, that's why you're here. <laughs> so thank you so much. Um, I think, yeah, the, I, those, I, I totally agree with everything you've said, that idea that um, we, we need to be present, we need to be visible to be able to make that change, to make a difference in our classrooms, with the people we teach. Um, and it reminds me of, uh, I guess, some of the publications of the NACWT and um, visible minorities and visible teachers. Unfortunately, that's still a problem. Um, in Scotland, we've recently just um, published a, a new report looking at uh, diversity in the teaching profession. We are still very much underrepresented. And um, there are lots of teachers who are leaving the, the profession because they don't feel supported by um, their, their schools, their trade unions, um, they, their spaces are not safe. And I suppose, especially this year, I am worried that there are going to be more teachers leaving the profession because it's been incredibly tough to teach in the midst of a pandemic. And um, we all know that COVID-19 has disproportionately affected um, minority ethnic communities. And I suppose, um, Maybe, maybe you could tell us a bit more about your experience as um, president this year. It's been an, probably an incredibly challenging year for you. Um, but I know that our, um, so the NSCWT has got a campaign called Vaccinate to Educate. And I'd like, maybe you could tell us a bit more about um, the importance of that campaign and how it's, it's really important for teachers of color, black teachers as well. Um, it's, I, I, I like the fact that you've touched on the fact that we don't have enough black teachers in Scotland, we don't have enough black teachers in Northern Ireland and Wales, you know, it, we are very much concentrated in, in the big cities in England, um, which is so wrong considering our communities are all across the British Isles. 
Um, and I'm really worried about exactly what you've just said. I'm worried about our colleagues who are going back into school now and they're going back into the same systems of racism. Let's be honest, the COVID didn't wipe it all away and start again. Actually, it's, it's um, focused. Um, and I think this is the... I kind of, I, I do believe very much that everything happens for a reason at the right time. And sometimes we miss it and we kind of go, oops, now I get that message. And other times we're like right there. And this isn't the year that I expected to have as the national president of NHGWT. Um, but I do quite strongly believe I was the right president for this period of time. Um, lots of people go to me, oh, but you haven't been able to travel, you haven't had a chance to represent the union at this event, you haven't been able to do this. Um, I, I honestly say one of my biggest disappointments is the fact that we've got, um, at, within our sister trade unions in America, we have got strong black women who are leaders in those trade unions over there. And I haven't had that chance to be in that physical space with my sisters in the trade union movement, in education to kind of have that renewal. But we find other ways of communicating as we always do. Um, no, I haven't had a chance to wear the chain. No, I haven't had a chance to stay in the presidential suite, which is a real disappointment to my daughter, um, who was one of my biggest, um, um, encourages to stand as national officer of the union because she wanted she wanted an opportunity to have the trappings um, and lots of people kind of saying to me well you haven't had this and you haven't had that if you stood to become a national president for all of those those things then that's not why you should be the national president um, and I know that previously um, a number of, of the predecessors before me have stood just because it's a good way to end their careers. It's a good kind of way to say goodbye, you know, to kind of get this, the, the trappings of being the national president. This year has been work. <laughs> this year has been um, watching while your um while your membership and the education sector, not just in the UK, but across the world has crumbled before your eyes. We have seen um, our members and our colleagues essentially rebuilding the education system for the digital age in weeks. Um, no matter how much we've had in the past, people warning us, oh, you need to get better equipped at using Google, um, you need to get better at using online teaching, all of those things. The education uh, sector isn't known for its, its quick moving. As much as we have changes to curriculum and us having to change and adapt, we're usually given some lead in time for that. We've done this in weeks under the spotlight of politicians, the media and parents, and most unnervingly, the students we teach. Um, and I have watched that happen during my year as a national president, and I have never been prouder to be a teacher, um, to be a member of NASUWT, um, but also to be a part of the wider education community, because I have seen innovation, I have seen bravery, I have seen people who um, have absolutely and truly stepped up. And I have seen them doing this while they are scared, where they are facing loss, 
they are seeing a global pandemic impact on their lives in ways that they would never have imagined. I have been in touch with and heard from members who have absolutely been tested to the limit. And the only place they've been able to get that sense of certainty from was NSUWT, was our union. We have basically been like a ship being battered across a storm and it, the ship has been twisting all different ways with all the people in it being shaken. And I've seen our union being the anchor. And this is why it has been such a difficult year because our union has been both a savior and both a, um, a villain in this because people have needed something tangible to direct their, their sense of unease at. And our union has been battered and I'm going to say that. And our union has been battered in ways I guess nobody would have expected as well but we've come out the other side, we're coming out the other side, I'm not saying we've come out, we're coming out the other side, I like to think, especially from my perspective, with a true understanding of what trade unions are there for, but also reinforcing that sense of NSUWT family, and our, I, I, and I, I know I, we, we, we tra play a very fine line between the staff members of our union and the lay activist side. But I hope to goodness that each and every one of our lay activists have a true appreciation for our staff who are absolutely phenomenal and have given above and beyond um, to, because they know how important education is and how important it is for our members to feel safe. So it has been a difficult year. Um, but the fact that I now have, I've, I've chaired nine hour online national executive meetings. I, I'm able, I am also able to jump from one part of the country to the next without having to have a carbon footprint. Um, I've been able to engage on the international stage. Um, so this week was the United Nations Com uh, Commission on the Status of Women. So I've been able to drop into sessions um, in between teaching lessons and in between union meetings um, and all of this while I'm also able to supervise and be there for my daughter. And that for me was the hardest decision when I stood as national officer was how I was going to balance all of what I, I'm expected to do while being there for a 13 year old who will be in her second year of, of secondary school and getting ready for um, GCSEs. And it was a difficult decision, but it was my daughter who encouraged me and she kept saying, I'll be fine, mommy, I'll be fine. You know, if you have to go overseas, I can go and stay with this person or I can go and spend time with my aunties, um, all of these different things. Oh, and I get now, oh, but I'm okay. I can stay on my own. I'm okay. And I'm like, no, you can't. Uh, <laughs> but it, it is difficult and, it is when you're an activist, I think one of the things that you have to really reconcile with is their sacrifice. And, and it's really hard um, to be an activist who, from my perspective, it's a real core part of who I am. And there is sacrifice. And I always kind of think, I hope it's to make something a bit better for somebody somewhere, um, whether it's my daughter or whether it's in this instance, whether it's the black members of NASUWT. 
I want our members to be able to see that there is no position within the union that is off limits to them. Um, if I can do it, and I can do it with a smile, but I can also do it honestly and tell you it's hard. Um, you will face racism from within our own union. You will face racism um, from, um, from organisations that we are engaged with. They won't call it that, but it's our responsibility to hold up the mirror and to say to them, yeah, no, that's not what we're, that's not what we're doing here. Um, we have to have that confidence to be able to do it. And I hope that once I fall off the end of the stage, that I will still, I'll still be going to our, our, our events. I'll still be at Black, uh, Black teachers conferences and events, and I'll still be um, there encouraging, hopefully, the next national president of NASUWT. I spotted a couple of you out there. Um, you know, don't think I haven't noticed. Um, but I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be sitting here waiting for another 100 years for the next Black president of our union. Um, and I'm saying to everybody out there, don't let me be the one who's on that list. And everyone goes, yeah, Michelle was the only one for 50 years, 60 years. I want it to be, oh, yeah, Michelle was the first, uh, you know, it, it won't be Michelle was the first black president. It'll be Michelle was the first black woman, queer um, citizenship teacher from Oxford who, are, you know, black teacher. I want it to get that specific because there's so many who come behind me. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, definitely. I want to see more. I think you've definitely um, been successful in changing um, the way we perceive their union. You, you have been successful in a lot of the things you've set up for. So thank you so much. And I think, um, you, yeah, you make really good points about, I guess, trade unionism. It is still part of a wider system of systemic institutional racism. And um, Sometimes we, we get mad at our, our trade unions without actually realizing that it's not just the trade union on its own that's a problem, it's society as a whole. So um, when I look at uh, the measures with risk assessments, COVID-19, um, he health risk assessments for teachers of color in particular, and we, we often get mad, like, why, why isn't my trade union doing more? Why isn't it doing more? That's actually because the government is not doing enough. And so um, it's important to, get involved in, in the trade union movement because that's where you can really push for um, these changes at a, at a government level. And I think um, that's, yeah, that's what you've been doing, you continue to do, and it's a, it's a real inspiration for everyone to, to get active. Um, I per perhaps one thing we could uh, touch on, I suppose, is um, your presidency during the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, so not only were you in the midst of a pandemic, um, but you were also doing some incredible stuff um, with the Decolonizing the Curriculum for Educators Conference. Um, and uh, as you pointed out, there's some some blessings with this year. We've been able to organize online in ways that we've never done before and hopefully we'll keep doing these things so it's more accessible, widely accessible, no matter your geographical location. And that's a problem in Scotland as well because we're so far apart. Um, everyone's, yeah, all the big things are happening in Glasgow and Edinburgh. So it's nice to have um, people from Orkney joining conferences, workshops and that sort of thing. Um, so perhaps you could tell us a bit more about um, your experience of being a black president dur during that, that time and um, perhaps a bit more of the, about the decolonizing the curriculum for educators um, campaign. So, uh, wow, as I said, it all happened at the same time. And I was really proud, I'll be honest, I have to be, I have to start at the beginning, I guess. And I'm really sorry again, might be possibly a long answer. Um, but for me, it was, it all started with Roads Must Fall. 
you know, I was obviously part of the Black Students Campaign when I was a student, um, but seeing the energy of the Roads Must Fall campaign in Oxford and just wanting to, to see, to kind of see it succeed. Um, and, you know, lending my name, you know, the, for the, anybody who doesn't know, the Codringtons were, the, uh, Christopher Codrington was a slave owner in, in, in the Caribbean, and he donated money to, um, um, to create a library at All Souls College in Oxford. So when the Roads Must Fall campaign was engaging, um, they asked me to speak at an event, and so I, I, I lent my name, um, you know, as a Codrington with you know, there's links to slavery right on my doorstep. Um, and for me, I see the Roads Must Fall campaign as part of the Black Lives Matters. And it's all part of the same trajectory. You know, none of us are acting as campaigners on our own. And sometimes we need to, we need to build those links and to see actually this is where we cross over. And I think that's been one of the most positive things about this period of time, because when you see Extinction Rebellion at um, reparations marches, and then you see, you know, the, the, the feminists, um, you know, the feminists are there as well. And we see um, um, the, trans, the trans members of our community all in one space, you kind of go, out of the bad comes the good. We're starting to draw those connections with each other. And for me being president during this period, it was it was bittersweet, I'll be absolutely honest. It was it was positive for me because as a citizenship teacher, I get a chance to talk about campaigns and getting to talk about Black Lives Matters as well. And actually not letting it just be a citizenship issue. All, every subject was talking about Black Lives Matters. And for the black children who I teach and my daughter, it was it was actually quite empowering. It gave them the space to ask the questions. And my daughter went back to school and said, why did it take the death of a black man for us to be talking about Black Lives Mattering? You know, that was a 12 year old challenging and saying this is unacceptable. It gave voice to our children and young people, but it also gave voice to our colleagues and to adults as well. And so it was bittersweet for me because we start to see people embracing their black identity and their blackness and realizing actually we can be politically black um, and we can challenge, we can ask questions and we can come together and we can create these spaces, these spaces that so many of us within um, activist, the activist communities find and, and really um, re-energize from. And we're starting to see this happening in an organic way. Um, and it also gives us the language to be able to articulate. This is where, if one more person asked me, what book should I be reading? I literally, I was just, it was getting to a point, and I know, I know for, for the fact is, I, before lockdown, I bought a couple of books for people and I'd been having these debates and these discussions. I've been telling people, read these books, read these books, and nobody was reading them. And it was coming back to me constantly having to have these arguments. And Black Lives Matters re-emerges re and I just said to people, here's the books I bought for you a couple of months ago, stick them in the post and they read them going, oh my God, where's this book been all my whole life? And I'm like, I was telling you about it. Um, but now you're ready to hear, that's fine. We needed that, we needed that space. Um, so finally people are starting to listen. So that's another positive. The bitter part of it for me was just like my daughter, why did it take the death of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd? We 
I guess the same thing happened with Stephen Lawrence. Why did it take the murder of Stephen Lawrence for us to articulate institutionalized racism? And I know a number of activists were concerned that this moment was going to stay a moment and we, need, we needed to energize the movement again. It was bitter for me because I would see all these organizations using social media suddenly with their black squares and suddenly saying Black Lives Matters and knowing fundamentally that these organizations are part of the systematic, systemic racism that our people experience and thinking, are they really at the start of their journey? Are they, what have they done that systematically, the best phrase I've heard is to undo systematic racism, you have to be systematic. What were they putting in place that was strategically trying to challenge racism? I don't want to see them putting up reading lists on their on their on their Instagrams. I don't want to have them saying we're listening. We're you know and. I, to describe to your listeners every time I say listening I tilt my head to the side because I'm so this is what I get every time we're listening we're here for you tell us your experiences it kind of became um trauma tra trauma pornography again everyone wanted to hear black people to saying why and what racism looks smells and feels like and so that they can better understand but they're not doing anything with it and that's one of my biggest frustrations. So there's me, national president of NASUWT, the largest teachers union in the UK, um, having our members, one, being attacked, because why are you not teaching the less colonized uh, curriculum? It's all your fault as teachers, and you're the ones who are holding up this racist, sexist, homophobic curriculum. Um, but then also seeing our members doing the listening and the reading, but then seeing our black members in particular saying, see, we told you so. <laughs> you <know? laughs> um, so there's me, national president, hearing all of that going on, seeing a profession that I have so much hope and potential for being attacked by members of the black activist community, when all along we've been saying as black teachers, work with us don't see us as part of we're trying to change the system from within organizations like yours tell us how we can get the door open so that we can get you to talk to our head teachers so that you can talk to our faculty leaders um, and organizations who because of this the scale we're talking about um, which is where the decolonizing the curriculum event came from. It was us, a group of a group of of NSUWT black members, um, who have been talking about this for years of how we're trying to change the system, trying to change curriculum, trying to change our schools, um, trying to change our union, and we basically just said we need to do something. We need to create a space, and this is the the, the main goal of it was to bring together the voices of students, the voices of teachers and voices of academics, because it has to be all three parts. We can't, I noticed I didn't say the government in there. We did discuss about whether or not we were going to invite an MP, um, but actually the government already have these powers to make these changes and they're not. And even when there's petitions calling for them to do it, they're still kind of saying, but we're already allowing you to do it. We know the systems and the way that it works to, to stop that happening 
So we caught, we organized this event and we organized it with Common Ground, which is a, an offshoot of Roads Must Fall, um, because Roads Must Fall was not just, is not just about, is not just about a statue. It's about the systematic strategic approach to how we change the experiences of students at Oxford University. Um, we, uh, we also worked with Impact of Emission, um, who are, and I'm smiling as I, as I talk about it because these, these sisters, these, these young women, these, they come, they see something wrong and they did something about it. Um, so they had organized a, um, not just a petition, but also a, um, a questionnaire asking people for their experiences of racism at school. Um, and you know they 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 had thousands of responses and got some really raw um, experiences of children who were in school today as well as people who've left the the education sector. Um, and I approached them because I said, teachers, we as black teachers, we know these problems. We experience it too. This is something that crosses age barriers because if the children are experiencing racism in school, we're experiencing it as teachers. And actually this is where community comes together as opposed to teachers community and students community. Actually, we're talking about the black community in the schools. And so we organized this event and thank you very much, Melina, for, for um, joining us and for being one of our panelists um, and talking about what teachers can be doing to, to decolonize their curriculum, because the hardest part for a lot of our, our members, especially our white members, was what does a decolonized curriculum looks like? Because when you've only experienced the curriculum that you, you, you're now teaching and you also learn under, how do you know what's missing? And so actually creating that space where we've got um, black academics, white academics, black students, white students, black teachers, white teachers talking about what they think, what their utopia looks like, actually gave an impetus to so many colleagues to go off and be able to say, I've now got permission, I now know how to start it. Um, and for us, it was a, a really big move, a moment. Um, the disappointment I had was not necessarily that it could have been bigger, but it could have reached more and um, how we follow that up. And that's the hardest part is how we follow it up. And so as being national president of NAS, it opens doors. It, you know, there's doors that were open to me already just because of the, the, area, the, um, the circles I operate in. Um, but being the national president, it meant that I, I was able to open doors and I did face challenge and I'm not going to sit here and pretend I didn't. Um, I did face having to negotiate and navigate my own union's um, structures, which is why in the end we went ahead and organized it and did it with the support of NASUWT. So NAS um, kind of uh, highlighted it and supported it and sent it out to our members and made sure people knew. But actually, I'm really glad that it wasn't an NASUWT event because it gave us the control to be able to create the space that we needed to have. Um, and we're really proud of it. And we're really proud of the fact that it was linked to NASUWT, but actually it wasn't one of our events. Um, the hard part for me as well is also remembering when I take off my president's hat because 
do or die I'm an activist at my core and to be told sometimes but you're the president so you're not allowed to do x y and z um I'll be honest I I said well if that's the case I take the president's hat off here have it back because you can never stop me being who I need to be and being true to myself um and so yeah it it's it's been a ride <laughs> it's been an experience the year has gone very fast there's I've still got work to do but any activist who tells you that their job is done I think they're not being truthful to themselves because this is something that's in your blood and the work is never done um but I've also learned a lot about myself and learned a lot about how and why I I um I kind of put myself in particular spaces. Um, I've, um, I know that I've, I've had to come out lots of different times, <laughs> not just as an activist, um, but as a queer woman. Um, it's it for me. That's all part of my journey, um, and it's all part of me speaking my truth. But it's also about me learning my voice, and that I may, I may look. Uh, quite confident and 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 able to talk my way out of any situation but I'm I'm very much still on my journey and you know I think we have to be honest and truthful to ourselves to say that we need to we need to always be looking back and looking forward but also looking within and understanding who we are because if we lose sight of who we are we lose sight of what our end goal is and our end goal for me must always be about trying to leave the world a bit better a better place for the next the next group of people who are coming behind and it's not about having your name written in a book and it's not about having um, a plaque put to you somewhere or a statue because we all know statues can come down um, <laughs> it's about knowing that we've been able to chip away at a system that's been built up around us for hundreds of years and it will take hundreds of years to un to undo but let's try and push it a bit forward. So I hope that being national president of NASUWT, I've done little, my little part in that aspect. So that NAS, for example, will always look back and go, well, we've had one black president and they didn't break the union. So you know what, we can, we can now see the full potential of all of our members. Um, but also for the trade union movement as well. And, to, you know, I'm, I've made mistakes. Of course, I've made mistakes and I own my mistakes. Um, and I'll talk about my mistakes and say where well, I could have done more and could have been better and could have done things differently. And I think that's where the honesty has to come because we've all got to realise that we've all got we've all got feet of clay and we've all we've all got to just do the best that we can do. And I just, you know, just put on record, I never want a statue put up to me anywhere. <laughs> so and if it does go up, I have absolutely all the permission, I give all the permission to the future generations to say, just know that I would be at the front of a Codrington Must Fall campaign because, um, you know, I've learned a lot about the the importance and permanence. Um, and I'd, I'd rather be remembered for what I've done um, and even if I'm not remembered, I just want to know that I've, I've added a few more bricks to that path that people can, can come along behind and in front of me on. Thank you. That was absolutely wonderful. Uh, so, yeah, so, so much um, to learn from. I think this idea of humility is so important for, for any activist thinking about why we're motivated to make this change. Is it for personal gains or is it more for um, 
leaving a better world behind us. And um, I can, yeah, absolutely relate to everything you just said. Um, I think we're thinking about the decolonizing the curriculum conference, what was brilliant, as you said, it not just being a trade union conference, um, I really enjoyed seeing all these different spaces that I wasn't always, um, uh, I wasn't aware of. So for example, Saturday schools, you mentioned earlier, you went to Saturday school and you, there was a brilliant speaker who um, explained the importance of Saturday schools and how that was actually a way of decolonizing all of education, get rid of all schools and just have these spaces where you can are you are empowered and empowered and able to do what what works for your community so um i think that was a real success and um i guess as a presidency you've already told us what what your journey was like the sort of barriers you've experienced um and you've already touched on i guess the post-presidency hopes that was maybe my last question but um perhaps you could yeah to, just to conclude the episode tell us a bit more what your um your hope well you've already told us about your hopes but um perhaps any messages for uh black teachers teachers of color who might be thinking of getting involved in their own um unions or any listeners around the world who are thinking about uh trade unionism um there's oh my gosh that's that's a big message um <laughs> I'm going, I think I would I would start from the place of saying don't expect it to be easy, but it's really important that you you know that you've got your you've got your circle and you've got the people you can go to who you can trust. And the hardest thing in in politics is finding who you can genuinely trust. Um, I've got my I've got my trade union circle. I've got my um, anti-racism group uh, circle. But I've also got my friends. I've got my family, and I've got people who will go to me. Get out of your own head. Um, I wouldn't be where I am now without people who created that space for me to be able to move forward in. Um, and I hope that anybody who's involved in NASUWT know who it is within our union who's created the spaces for us. And I don't want to embarrass them by saying, um, but I'm hoping, you know, the people are smiling knowing, you know, who the queen is of NASUWT and how if it wasn't for people like her creating that space 20, 15 years ago. Um, and I guess the, the kind of the, the, um, the inspirations that we have within our union, it, sometimes it takes one person or two people to create that space and to keep that door open. And that's the one thing I always say is if you've burst into a room, you make sure you leave that door open and you hold your arm up and get as many people in that door as you can. We all did it when we were younger, sneaking people into cinemas and into spaces. It's no different when we're talking about spaces which have been um, predominantly kept closed to us. So open that door and hold that door and bring those people in with you. There will be sometimes you will you will look and go, how did that person get in? Um, you look around and go, did I let that person in? Oh my goodness. Um, but actually we have to create those spaces so that people can reach the full, their full potential and find their space. Um, you kind of touched on what next for me. Um, I need a break. <laughs> Even just from listening to the introduction you came at the beginning, I think I need a break. Um, but I already know that what I would deem a break is not a break. You don't get a chance to step away. And um, I'll be honest, I took a break 
um, after I was the Black Students Officer because it was a really difficult time for me, um, talking about politics and um, I don't have time and energy for playing games. I generally don't. And so being the Black Students Officer was really difficult. It was also very rewarding and I learned a lot about myself. Um, and I so-called took a break um, and that's when I trained to be a teacher. <laughs> so that was my break. I found a different avenue. I found a different direction. Uh, I, to be honest, I, I do need, I need to be a mum for a bit. I need to prioritise my daughter. Um, but I know as well from her, she, she won't let me. She's, she's my driving force and my inspiration. Um, and I say it's not about the trappings, but her face when, when I drag her along to yet another talk, which mummy's given. Um, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm such a terrible mum having this poor child sitting in this university hall while we talk about uh, uh, memorials or talk about decolonization. And then something happens where um, I'll overhear, I'll overhear or I'll see something that she's written um, or she's contributed in a lesson, which is one of the good things about remote learning. You get to hear what your child is doing. And I just hear what she is learning from being in those spaces. And um, and she doesn't even know it. She, you know, she will happily, you know, happily explain about um, things like the Berlin Conference or she'll talk about um, uh, she'll talk about the talented tenth or she'll talk about um Codrington's the the legacy of the Codrington's and I just know how important it is for our children and young people to be in those spaces so for me I think what next watch this space um I I might be quiet but I'm never gone um I will continue as always to find the next the next group of activists so that we can tag in um, and I'll always continue to make spaces and I think my message to our, our brothers and sisters across the world um, is the core of, of what we're trying to do here in, in relation to black empowerment and anti-racism for us as black people, the core of it is love. It genuinely is. This, this is about love for the people who we know, but also the people we've never met. We're trying to do what we do because it is from a place of wanting us, and I say us, to have better, be better, and do better. Um, to fulfill that aspiration and that dream that our ancestors wanted for us because we carry that in our blood no matter what we're told no matter what we're shown no matter how much we're undermined and told that we don't belong our ancestors sacrificed so that we could be here today and it might have been small sacrifices and it might have been big sacrifices for a lot of us it's that idea of the loss of the dignity and the loss of of being a sense of who we are and humanity. Um, so that's what drives us, is that love for, for our, our family. Um, and for me, our family comes in all shades, all backgrounds, all geographical. You know, we are a legion. 
Um, and for me, it is absolutely about love. And that is what will always drive me. And, you know, whether you're in America, whether you're in Britain, whether you're in India, Pakistan, whether you're in Sweden, whether you're in Norway, whether you're Germany, Brazil, um, Argentina, or Jamaica, or a small little island in the East Caribbean of St. Vincent, the one thing that unites us all is love. And that has to be what drives us forward. Wow, that was so beautiful. You gave me goosebumps there. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, that was incredible. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in and thank you so very much to Michelle for joining us and sharing this wealth of experience and wisdom. Um, as always, I learn so much and I'm always more inspired every time I see you, I, I hear you speak. Um, and I'm sure our listeners will also have gained so much from this episode. So um, to our listeners, I suppose, make sure to get involved in your trade union as much as you can. Check out the NSUWT, I'll be leaving links and of course, Michelle's work, um, social media websites and all, I can leave that in the show notes. Um, and I wish you all the best for, for that break, being, being a, a brilliant mother as you are, an inspiration to us all, to your future. And I'm sure we will of course stay in touch. So thank you so much. And I guess that's it for the Anti-Racist Education Podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye.